Welcome everybody to CRE Fast Five Secret Sauce, the show where we hear real-time insights from commercial real estate industry leaders. I'm Carly Ayakono. Today, I am so pleased to be joined by Farhan Kabani, the Executive Vice President in CBRE's Debt and Structured Finance Group. Farhan, welcome to the show. It's great to see you. Hello, Carly. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Now, I know you are either the most popular or the most unpopular person in the room considering debt and finance is what makes the commercial real estate market go round or freeze, right? Very important piece of the puzzle. So I know all of our listeners are going to be very interested to hear your real-time updates and kind of projections on market conditions for the year ahead. Before we jump into all of that super crucial information, why don't you just take a minute and tell everyone about your team and the types of deals that you focus on? For sure. Uh, well, thank you again for having us or having me for that matter. Uh, we're the commercial middle market team of CBRE. Um, we have folks in a few different markets throughout the country and continuing to grow throughout the country. Our focus is, um, you know, call it one to 50 million in terms of loan size uh, on an individual basis. And then we can go much larger on a, in, on a portfolio scenario. Uh, we work on uh, retail transactions as well as uh, industrial um, office, some office, but more healthcare, medical office, and a little bit of multifamily. Okay, pretty pretty wide uh, breadth there, but all in the middle market, so good. Yeah, and heavily focused, you know, obviously heavily focused in the net lease space, and obviously that's why uh, you and I know each other, have known each other for so long. Exactly. We go way back, I think two firms ago, so been yeah. in the same space, same business, and on the same team now again, so great to, great to have you at CBRE. So I want to start with something, let's say, positive for finance uh, today. So why don't we begin with what types of deals lenders are most bullish on? What is working in today's market? Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll speak specifically to NetLease product in this scenario. And I will say for NetLease, industrial, healthcare, and retail. And retail is bifurcated with investment grade versus non-investment grade product. Uh, but, you know, the full spectrum of, of uh, tenants are financeable within the segment. It's just a function of pricing. Okay. And are certain lenders more, more active um, with certain deal types? Are you seeing just everybody claiming true investment grade or some of those non-investment grade, maybe shorter term deals getting done with lenders as well? Um, I would say in both in both cases, you you can you uh, plenty of non-investment grade transactions are getting done, even deals with shorter shorter lease terms. It's just a function of the loan terms themselves and the lending category, for that matter. Um, you know, some of those deals fall into in terms of the non-investment grade deals or the shorter lease terms may fall in the bucket of bank debt, regional bank debt, or credit union product, um, as well as in some cases a debt fund. Whereas some of the longer term deals are going to price more aggressively as it relates to the debt and the life insurance with the life insurance company or CMBS. So you mentioned CMBS last. Are they back active? I know there was very little CMBS activity for a stretch of time there. Has activity picked up? And if so, what sort of deals are, are CMBS loans um, really targeting? Sure. Uh, CMBS is back uh, in full force. They expect a big year this year. We've seen dramatic uh, decreases in spreads. 
Um, and that trend may continue. Uh, but CMBS is, you know, rolling strong uh, with a variety of securitizations that are priced very well. Um, in terms of transactions, deals that are that are falling in that bucket, I would say it's better suited for slightly larger loans, meaning over five million, in some cases over 10 million. Um, again, specifically as it relates to the net lease space, I would say longer lease terms, investment grade tenancy, um, whether that's industrial or retail. Um, you know, if you you can still get non-investment grade deals done, but I would just consider a more moderate leverage level. Okay. And how are is pricing coming in in these different lender categories? And I know this is a virtually impossible question to answer because everything is so deal specific, right? There's a wide range here, but are you seeing more competitive terms, apples to apples for the same deal with CMBS, if it's investment grade with long-term, like where are certain lender profiles winning in terms of the terms that they're putting forth? Sure. I, I would say in terms of pricing uh, or the combination of pricing, proceeds and structure, the life insurance companies are the most competitive in today's marketplace. Uh, the you know in terms of CMBS, it, because those spreads have come in, they're extremely competitive in, in pricing. Uh, the you know, however, for CMBS, higher leverage deals are going to price wider in comparison to the lower leverage deal. The higher the debt yield, the better the pricing. It's kind of the thought process. The but as a whole, whether it's life insurance company, whether it's conduit bank debt or credit union to give you a general spectrum of, of spread or rates all in um i would say you know don't hold me to it entirely because it's ever changing every single day but rates could range from call it like low sixes into the mid to upper sixes on competitive product um better. but but there are outliers there are scenarios where uh someone may offer a swap product which would result in you know, an even lower rate, um, or uh, you know, some some scenarios where it falls in the bucket of purely regional bank debt, where some banks have a higher cost of capital in today's marketplace, and they're prime they're pricing based on prime. In which case, you're going to see rates in excess of seven percent. Uh, so that's where the you know we we try to bridge that gap and really focus on focus on. Uh, the competitive price market, but you want to really cover the entire marketplace, gather appropriate bids across the board, and and then negotiate accordingly. So you want to make sure you're covering the marketplace. Yeah, that makes sense because every lender has such different terms. And that kind of brings me to the next thing I wanted to cover, which is aside from rate, which is the first thing everyone talks about, what other provisions should borrowers be paying close attention to in this market. One thing that comes to mind is prepayment penalties, right? If people believe rates are going to come down significantly, we have a lot of buyers who say, you know, we, we would like to finance, but we want something that we could refi in two years. So I'm sure prepayment is a big conversation topic, but yes, you can comment yes or no on that. But also what other provisions are you seeing in addition? Uh, I think prepayment penalties are relevant and all, all markets, but in today's marketplace, more so than ever, uh, prepayment penalty is relevant, uh, especially if rates are at an elevated level today. Someone may be a longer term holder and they want the ability to refi without a penalty in a relatively short period of time. Um, other, you know, there are a variety of other provisions to consider. Um, 
you know, obviously your amortization schedule, your uh, availability of interest only, those are, you know, typical scenarios that you want to at least explore and see across the board. I would say, say taking a deeper dive, you, you know, the assumability of debt is, is also important to consider whether it's on current, on existing loans or even on new loans. Um, the, the, uh, the other factors to consider are, you know, uh, estate planning factors, death provisions, people that, you know, we have an aging population. A lot of our clients are, you know, at the, uh, the higher end of the age uh, spectrum, and in which case uh, they want to have the ability to uh, avoid, you know, default on debt. So there are scenario, you know, scenarios that you want to be cognizant of, you know, in advance. That's interesting. And that's not one that I really have looked at a lot. The estate planning provisions is the language dramatically different depending on the type of lender in terms of the, the estate assumptions. It, yes, it can be. It can, it can vary by lending category. Um, even within a specific lending category, lender to lender, the, the, the language can, can vary. Is there one profile of lender that's more flexible typically on that? Or if you, you know this may be an unfortunately more eminent concern, should you steer one way or the other? How do you handle that? Um, well, you could hire me and I'll give you guidance on which ones are <laughs> most easiest. That's the answer but, to every question, right? <laughs> right. No, but um, you know, any, any lender that has outside counsel, uh, that that's you know that that is one thing to consider because they'll at least have flexibility. Those docs that are you know pre-negotiated, call it, or or generated through a program, sometimes have less flexibility. Uh, the I would say life insurance companies, uh, you know, it, it's relatively easier to negotiate some of those provisions uh, or add pro necessary provisions, even with certain bank lenders. Um, but I would say those lenders that have, again, the boilerplate docs, it is a little bit uh, more difficult to uh, to work through. Hmm. Interesting. Let's go back to a few of the other provisions that you mentioned, amortization. Have you seen any material change to amortization schedules in the last two years? Are we still at 25, 30 years as it come in? What are you seeing now in terms of standard amortization? So generally speaking, 25 to 30 year am. Uh, is readily available and have been readily available as well as interest only. Um, I will say with, uh, you know, the net, the net lease asset class becoming more mature, you're also seeing more mature leases and shorter lease terms remaining, which then uh, can impact the AM schedule um, and or proceeds. It's that kind of the combination thereof. If you have a really high leverage request with a shorter lease term, uh, depending on the asset class and recourse, another provision to consider, um, then your amortization schedule can vary or get shrunk, you know, get shortened. Right. Let's touch on recourse for a minute. I'm glad you threw that in there because it's a big talking point too. Seems to me that we're seeing more requests for recourse. Uh, lenders are, are becoming, I think, more conservative. Is that the case or is that just my perception in the market? Are you seeing more Less non-recourse, more partial recourse or full recourse loans? Um, I would say generally speaking, yes, but primarily in the bank space, uh, bank lending space, okay. more so than some of the others, or even some in some instances, credit unions. I will say the life insurance companies, depending upon the, the deal type, there may be partial recourse requests or even uh, springing recourse, which is uh, which differs from uh, 
partial recourse a, a bit. Tell, but, tell us what springing recourse is. Um, it's it's a recourse recourse in the event of a tenant uh, in the event that the tenant vacates the property or defaults on the it. uh, whether it's default or if they move out, the recourse kicks up until the tenant is replaced. Got it. Interesting. Yep. Uh, or until they start paying again, one or the other. Okay. Uh, um, but I will say, in terms of lenders becoming more conservative as it relates to the to re, or asking for more recourse, um, again, it's it's difficult to answer as a you know in terms of assessing like the cumulative number of deals that we would look at. But I would say for the bank sector and the credit union products, uh, recourse is more prevalent. Okay. And then interest only. Obviously, this is a, a hot item to increase cash flow when you can get it. What interest only periods are you seeing and what types of lenders are offering interest only? So I will say that there are more lenders offering up interest only, I feel today than they have in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and, that can, and that can vary whether it's one or two years of interest only or even uh, you know 10 years of interest only for that matter. Usually you see a longer, like a 10 year interest only product offered up by either a CMBS lender or a conduit lender or a life insurance company at lower leverage points. Uh, usually bank, credit union, uh, you'll see, you know, most debt funds, you know, those most of those durations are shorter anyway. Most of that product is shorter anyway. So you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, you might have three years of IO and that's kind of lined up, aligned with the term itself. Um, the reason I feel that you see more interest only offered up today is, is in some instances to get more competitive advantage. We you know lenders trying to get more competitive advantage over the other, uh, whether it's category or within each category. Um, also, when you know when yields did elevate pretty dramatically and you know towards the end of last year, you saw very high rates. There wasn't a huge difference in terms of you know in near term of a payment schedule. So if you had a thirty year AM, but you had a seven and a half rate but you had, you know, as compared to a higher yielding interest only product, there wasn't a huge difference in, uh, right. in, uh, in the all-in payment. So lenders were willing to sacrifice the, the AM in that instance to try to win a deal. That makes sense. So would it be logical that if rates start to come down, that the interest only period might shorten or they're not that closely tied? Um, they Sorry. are not that closely tied, but, um, I do think it's a lot of it has to deal with the basis and kind of where net asset values are today uh, okay. and where they expect it to go. So I think that's going to be kind of the driver in terms of the availability of interest only. Interesting. And then the last provision I want to go back to that you mentioned was assumability. Um, I, right now, of course, anyone that has an assumable 3% or 3.5% interest rate loan is like, it's worth gold, right? Dramatically increases the property value. It's just a fantastic benefit, very rare. And I'm finding that more clients are are asking about assumability because now it's become um, it's be become obvious that there is long term benefit now because rates are higher. Maybe there's less benefit, but are you seeing lenders be more or less open to assumability provisions? And if they are open to it. What sort of requirements are they putting into the loan docs for the second borrower? I will say the most of the transactions that are where, that have assumability from that were negotiated that was negotiated in the past. Many times those lenders already had 
assumability factored into their into their docs. Um, and when folks are buying those deals, assuming the loan, the only time we're involved is if we're negotiating on behalf of our of, of a client that's hired us. Uh, so we're not as involved when those current loans are being assumed. I will say it's important to you know to consider that the lender still has discretion. They still, mm-hmm. in all cases, a lender still has discretion whether they will allow someone to assume that debt. And um, lenders aren't foolish. They know if rates are, you know, if they, they know what rates being offered up, and you know, there are provisions with assumption, like assumption provisions, where you know the uh, the assumption can't be. Uh, unreasonably withheld call it right uh, but there are others that where that doesn't exist and it's at complete lender's discretion in which case the lender may decide not to allow for that uh to happen so it's important to have that discussion well in advance um i will say the current loans that were that that we're putting out today um assumability is relevant but not as relevant just because you're kind of borrowing in a higher uh rate environment right right but it's available i mean obviously assumability is available it's just the likelihood of someone wanting, wanting to assume, to assume it later. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. It seems like more flexibility and options are welcome, but to your yeah. point, probably not going to be a huge win, you know, four or five years from now in right. theory. Right. What other covenant should borrowers pay attention to? We covered a lot of the big sort of deal points, but are there stricter bad boy carve outs or other things in the loan docs that you're seeing kind of creep in in the, the last few years that people should be paying more attention to than they are? Uh, That's a great question. Uh, I think of this like retail leases, right? It's a 98 page lease. Most of it, you're like, ah, it doesn't really matter. This is never going to happen until it does. And then you're reading some random section on page like 67 um, about some sort of default provision you never considered would even be an option. And I, I feel the same way about loan docs, right? Everyone's like, okay, what's the rate, the amortization, the term, and like, that's it. Um, but sometimes you have to dig into those docs because a lot of crazy things can happen. So you really need to understand all these scenarios. Absolutely. And there are tons of provisions and depending upon the the type of lender, there could be tons of complexities as it relates to those docs. Right. But you bring up a valid point as it relates to the leases. So it may not be a function of carve outs, but, um, or maybe it could in cases like springing recourse, but uh, the, you know, the docs will require may require lender approval on a new lease or any sort of lease changes or modifications. The, the, you know, that, that, that's, that's necessary. Lenders should be able to approve who's occupying the space and they should be able to approve, um, you know, the type of tenant. And if the rent's going to be modified, they're obviously they, they'll, they need to know, but right. sometimes in terms of, um, De- you know, deal making, you want to be able to have flexibility. So adding, you know, adding language that allows you to to make a business decision without having to constantly go back to your to your lender is uh, is important. In some right. in some instances, in some categories, you can add language that allows you to have some flexibility. Right. And that's why it is so important to have someone reviewing these loan docs on your behalf and pointing this stuff out and negotiating it. It's seems to me it's very rarely boilerplate um, or it's not in the best interest of the borrower to just kind of skim through and say, great, right? There's so much complexity to it. There is, there's tons of complexity there. Again, it, it's, it's a, there's always a trade-off as well. Uh, 
right. in terms of like sponsors, the deal size, the deal specifics. Um, mm -hmm. But it's always helpful to have someone at least uh, look over the docs. Right, exactly. And it seems like lenders are becoming a little more conservative. I've heard that they're requiring deposits in a lot of cases, probably are, are bank lenders. Um, how have you seen deposits change? Is that still the case that lenders are, are trying to take more money in before they lend money out? Or is that easing a little bit? Um, not still the case. It, I will say you, 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 saw, you see it more often now than you have in the past. And certain bank lenders require deposits or at least ask for considerable deposits before loaning out. Um, it's not it's not impossible to find lenders that that do not require deposits as part of the part of the loan there are instances where lenders will ask for a deposit uh, and they'll give you some sort of better rate in comparison to a loan that does not have deposits tied to it okay. um you know and then also i would say it's it's you know it, it's uh for it's more frequently asked for for construction loans as well for new construction loans lenders may require deposits and it's a function of establishing not only the relationship, but it's also probably because they want to improve their, uh, you know, their, their deposits as right. a whole. So um, you see it, you see it, it's not always required. It's not always the case, uh, but there are lenders in the marketplace that, that are, uh, that'll either require deposits before they lend or will give you more favorable terms because they, they hold higher deposits. It's interesting. At least it gives you another yeah. option if you have yeah. that flexibility. Let's move on and talk about spreads for a minute. So everybody follows so for the 10 year, right? We're seeing where these baseline numbers are coming in, but what do you think spreads are going to look like? Cause I think that's really the more nuanced part of this next year um, or this year, I guess. It's harder to say, you know, it's hard to speculate in terms of, you know, where the spreads will be, you know, in the near future. Um, I will say that, you know, we've seen corporate bond yields come in uh, considerably. And, you know, even with new corporate bond issuance, there's been, you know, in some instances for the agent, for the investment grade uh, bond issuance, you've seen oversubscription. So in those scenarios, one may predict that you'll see further easing of, of, uh, of spreads within that space. And that translates easily to the life insurance companies. But that's also a driver for a lot of the other um, lending groups in the marketplace. So, but we've seen the life insurance companies uh, off start to skinny up their spreads. We've seen uh, the CMBS lenders, obviously we've seen those securitizations have been successful and we've seen spreads come in there as well. Um, you know, historically there were times where the life insurance company spreads were as low as, you know, one thirties, again, assuming a net lease, net lease, uh, class A net lease deal, whether it's industrial, um, investment grade, et cetera. You might see as low as 130s. Uh, at one point, we saw those spreads blow out to you know 250 plus, and now we've seen those set those spreads for again for net lease investment grade product, call it between you know 170 to 220 in in terms of a range. Uh, so there's still room, but there's room in both both directions. Don't get me wrong, but okay. given where given where we are in the cycle, it seems that um, it's possible that those spreads can continue to come in. Uh, and similarly, in other asset, you know, and other lending categories, CMBS included, uh, bank debt, you know, is very closely tied to uh, is very closely tied to Fed funds in terms of short-term 
uh, in the near term, it's also the direction of, of uh, and, uh, the direction of rates as a whole, and the, and obviously considering the impact of the longer end of the curve. Uh, but those deposits are a heavy driver, um, and the cost of those deposits are heavy, are you know heavily driven uh, by those, uh, or the spreads are heavily driven, I guess, by those deposits and the cost of those deposits. So it's harder to say that we'll see a considerable shrinking of spreads within the bank space. I do think that'll improve, but uh, we're seeing it in action with some of the other categories. That's interesting. It sounds like banks just have less flexibility, right? Their hands are almost tied because they have to pay out on the deposits in a different way than the other lender types. Yeah, but I do think like size matters in terms of the size of bank, right? right? And in which case um, they're weighted average cost of capital is lower relative to some of the smaller regional community banks. So there are, um, we have seen improvement of rates and spreads for, you know, within the bank space, as well as in the credit union space for that matter. Credit unions have stayed fairly consistent, actually, um, in terms of their lending, uh, at least uh, at least most credit unions for that matter. Uh, we see pretty, you know, a lot of consistency there as it relates to spread, spreads and lending. But there, again, their output of dollars is not um, equivalent to some of those other right. categories. Yeah. Right. One thing we haven't touched on much is short-term financing. That's your construction loans, your bridge financing. What does that part of the market look like? And what are you expecting over the next six to 12 months? Sure. I will say bridge lending is relative is readily available. Um, not as, I, I, we feel that there aren't as many quality players in the middle market, but a lot more on the on the larger side. Uh, but there is a ton of capital in the marketplace in terms of capital that's been raised for by debt funds, and you know their their focus really is a value add bridge product. Um, you know underwriting has become more critical, but again we we're still seeing uh, fresh capital available. I would say for construction financing, um, it has become more difficult to secure construction financing, at least in larger scale projects, um, even in, you know, call it middle market project, project products. Uh, the smaller deals, uh, you could find, you know, you can still source decent construction loans for, uh, but generally the leverage points have dropped off there. So it becomes harder to, uh, to, uh, you know, to fill out the capital stack as compared to prior, you know, previous years. So I would say it's, you know, it's not great right now, but it is improving. I think the leverage piece is interesting because I feel like 2019, you know, when things were just so frothy, lenders were were offering 100% financing on some of these net lease construction projects. Um, I've even seen, you know, over a hundred percent, just crazy amounts. Um, so where where is the leverage really pulled back? Let's say it's an investment grade tractor supply or a drugstore. Where do you I where would, do you think the terms would come in today? It's difficult to say. You know how high up the uh, the capital stack you can really go. You know, in years past, you did see the hundred percent financing options, um, and at least it was spread between your exit caps and that you know, yield on cost. Now right. uh, it's obviously it's become more difficult to predict those ex exit cap rates, which is then push put pressure. Um, from what I hear, there's also some obviously further pressure on the retailers as well to, uh, you know, to, to increase rents uh, to a certain extent. Now supply costs have 
also, excuse me, supply costs have also dropped off or raw material costs have also dropped off a little bit. So that that helps in terms of uh, achieving moderate or higher leverage. But I would say, um, you know, off the cuff, 75 to 80% loan to cost is available. I will say that's, you know, cheaper relative, you know, relatively speaking than getting those 100% financing options. But then, you know, the, the, the weighted average cost is still higher because of the equity piece. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, it's it's not an easy time to be a developer, for sure. Lots of complexities there. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to touch on is anything creative that you're seeing in the market. You know, we've seen some seller financing. We've seen other sources of equity come in. Anything from the, the debt or finance side that you weren't really seeing be a part of the capital stack a few years ago anything creative or any changes you've seen lately um i would say some creativity that we've seen and this might be too technical for the discussion but um what bring it pops up in We're mind, ready. Right, cool. um, <laughs> so with cmbs loans generally when you have uh either shorter lease terms on a cmbs deal meaning let's say you have 12 years remaining on a lease or uh let's say even 10 years remaining for that matter um or you have a um a large size single tenant deal and it's say borderline investment grade uh there's usually some sort of uh cash flow suite provision that's put into place whether it's at the end of the term whether it's you know some provisions that require sweep throughout um and i do feel that there has been some creativity uh for the you know as it relates to the sweeps like um we have a deal where there's a shorter you know there's a 12 year lease it's a, a decent sized transaction single tenant uh larger industrial deal uh tenant is borderline investment grade uh the cmbs quote you know cmbs quotes have come in but there are cash flow suite provisions towards the end of the lease term to have some sort of reserves built up but we've also seen lenders offer up uh, or allow for, say, a letter of credit to be posted in lieu of the actual dollars being swept. And that's pretty creative. Don't get me wrong, that has to get a, that ha that does have to get approved at various levels. But the fact that that's even available is right. unique. Um, you know, and other you know other creative ways just to try to make a deal work. And that's I think that's an example of of, of the same. It really feels like lenders want to start doing deals again at, at increased levels. Buyer activity is up. Borrowers are trying to make things pencil. It feels like everyone is ready to break past sort of the slow period we had in the last year and a half. But still, the numbers and provisions don't always line up. So the creativity is is really coming into, in, into play to try to get deals done. And that's also why you're here. That, I mean, that that helps because you'll find you're, you're creative and you find ways to make it make a deal work and piece it together. Exactly. It on both sides. So what we got to do, right? Exactly. Find those buyers and sellers and get the deals done. That is the name of the game for 24. Exactly. Absolutely. Any parting thoughts, any positive things you're watching in 24 or any other advice you'd like to share before we wrap up today? Um. I say positivity wise, I think the second half of the year should uh, we should see a strong rebound in the commercial real estate space in terms of activity levels and transactions. I think that's been the prediction, uh, you know, from multiple uh, brokerage houses uh, and a lot of different investment firms is that the second half of the year should be strong. I think that's in line with the ex now the expected uh, reductions in Fed funds. I believe the most recent 
uh, expectation is that uh, more heavily weighted towards the June uh, adjustment versus May or March. Uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to, to, to what we can do in the near term and for preparation for the second half of the year. Sounds good. Can't wait. Let's make it a great year. Awesome. Farhan, thank you so much for sharing all of that insight on the debt and finance markets. We really appreciate it. I know it's valuable to our listeners and we appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. To everyone listening, that was CRE Fast Five Secret Sauce. We're so happy you tuned in and we will see you again very soon. Have a great day, everyone.